right. I'm off of this horse right here. So in case I keep. <laughs> anyway, so my conversation today is I'm just going to riff about something that I'm passionate about. And I'm talking to pioneers. And the title of my conversation today is very simple. It's Circle the Wagons. Circle the Wagons. You guys over here are born again, so you're not like me. So you have not consumed the entire Yellowstone franchise and then jumped into 1883. And you're not a Taylor Sheridan fan. You guys don't know what I'm talking about. But I am fascinated with the concept of Cowboys, right? Not the team, even though the Cowboys is the best team in the world. I don't care if we win or not. This is Cowboy Nation, baby. Let's go. That's right. Winning is overrated. We are awesome and we know it. <laughs> That's right. The cowboy nation. But I'm fascinated with this concept of cowboys because cowboys are pioneers, right? Cowboys are people that came and they went to a plane and everything. They were like, we're going to do this. And I feel like every single person that calls this place their home under the leadership of, of Pastor Brent. Pastor Brent, his context may be pastoral, but his, his calling is apostolic. And apostolic is always getting more land. It's more like, look at the theme for this year. It's revival. What is revival? It's taking land. It's advancing forcefully the kingdom of heaven and taking ground from the kingdom of darkness, right? When you think about it right now, this right here, he can tell you stories about stories of how this happened and carved a place over here, all the warfare that kind of came and everything, stood his ground and now it's sound. And the moment he was ready, the Lord said, all right, I got another place for you to pioneer. Now I'm going to give you guys Dignity Hill. Not a church building, right? That's just a base of operations. You guys are called to take that region and from there take the city and then from there spill out into your nation. That's how the kingdom works, right? Every time the Bible talks about the kingdom, it speaks to one thing. And it's a simple fact that the kingdom, every analogy of the kingdom, it's a seed that grows. It's yeast that grows. It's salt. It's always things which are not contra, but intra-culture, right? Which come into a culture and transform it from the inside. That's why it's the most absurd thing in the world when Christians say, like, I, I got off of social media or I got off of local politics and everything because it was too dark. Are you kidding me? God knew you would have that line of logic. That's why he calls you the light. Because the light is supposed to go into the dark. And uh, there's too much flesh. I can't mess around with the artsy industry or the model. That's why he called you salt. Because salt is a preservative to flesh. Do you understand that he preemptively called you things which gave you a clue to the very fact that you're supposed to be in the middle of everything? Because when you are not there, it creates a vacuum. And then people that have agendas which are contrary to your belief systems then step into those places. And all of a sudden, the entire culture has changed. And you're over here just being reactionary, trying to protect the little liberties that you have either at work or at school and everything because the entire generation has turned against it when you should have met that thing head on. I'm speaking to pioneers because you are in a generation which is now a new frontier. It is foreign to your belief system and your culture. Everything about the truth is considered hate speech. And God is calling you to pioneer once again. And that's why you're in this house. You're wondering why you come to prosper. You are here because this this is an apostolic house with an apostolic anointing. And God has called you here specifically so you can learn the art of warfare. So that you can, when you go out of there, the corporate context is for you to go buy a building and take over a city. But every single person of us has a calling. And within our personal, the corporate context is that. But everyone has a personal calling. Within that personal call is a context. Your calling may be to, be a, to raise godly children. 
Your calling may be to raise godly, you know, um, school kids as a school teacher. You could be in corporate or whatever. Your calling is all of those things, but the context is it could be a work, it could be a school or whatever. God placed you in there as his inside man, as an agent of transformation to where you can stand as the proxy of heaven. And whatever the demand of the people around you, God could give his perfect supply through who you are. This is a house and a culture. This house was birthed in prayer. This house, we would show up here. I mean, uh, Brianna knows that. Like, uh, she was there. And Nicolette's like, what's up, cousin? But Pastor Brent would show up here, and we would walk here and pray and have nights of prayer and everything, contending for what God wanted to do in this city. That is the foundation of what that is. Right? And so that's what I'm speaking to you guys on this very thing, that God has called you to do the impossible. God has called you to take territory. But in order for you to take territory, you have to understand how to defend it. And that's why I use this terminology right here, right? Circle the wagons. Because when the pioneers were coming around, when they would camp at night, there were wild animals and everything. Remember when you take something, right? The very rhetoric means you're taking from them. You can't just find, you know, it, it doesn't say you find territory, right? I mean, try it. Just walk out there and walk into someone's yard and say, I found this, you know? <laughs> no, you can't do that. If you want it, you have to take it from someone. So the whole thing about taking territory, the kingdom advancing means another kingdom is shrinking. Therefore, violence is the only language that bullies and cowards understand. And that's exactly what the enemy is. And that's why he's called you with this. So this right here, I'm going to give you a defensive strategy for how to advance the kingdom. But not just that, to keep that which you take. And so that's why the subtext to this is this where I'm just going to riff and just have fun with this. And I'm probably not going to go on my notes and everything, but it is the power of pioneering prayer. Because there's different types of prayer, right? There's prayer for communion with God. There's prayer for communication with God. But pioneering prayer is, is it's, it's, it's an importune prayer. Pioneering prayer, pioneering prayer, it's a very visceral type of prayer. It's an uncivilized type of prayer. Right? It's a prayer that holds on to the promises of God and will not let go. It's the type of prayers that you pray when you are desperate. It's the type of prayer that you pray when loss or when uh, losing is not an option. And that particular type of prayer has a specific skill set that propagates it. But here's where I want to start it. God has called you to the impossible. That's what he says. Nothing shall be impossible with you. Jesus said that. It's in red. That means he actually said it, right? And so you, my, your beef with me isn't whether there is such a thing as the impossible being possible or not. Your beef with me is whether you believe that if Jesus said it, he meant it or not. And this is, this, the Bible is not something, it is based on the credibility of God through his son. So it's not something you can nitpick and pick apart and choose what you choose to believe or not. Either it's all true or none of it is true. Right? It's like someone who's like, uh, yeah, every day I tell three lies, but for the rest of the day I'm telling the truth. Right? Th that person in essence is a liar. Right? You, you cannot, even if it's one lie, they're like, I'm going to tell one, I don't know what lie you're going to tell. It could be a major lie, it could be whatever. So what is that person? That person is like, one lie, it's a lie. So anything, if the word of God had lies scattered into it, it would not be the type of, 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 of word that we can believe. So all that to say, if the same Bible that talks about the fact that you were saved is the exact same Bible that says that you're called to do the impossible, 
that there's certain, not certain things shall be impossible. It says nothing. Everybody say nothing. Look at the life of Jesus. Nothing was impossible. Multiplying bread, are you kidding me? Walking on water? Raising the dead? Healing the sick? I mean, can you imagine the force of a man who lives life to where nothing is impossible? And then he turns around, and the same spirit that was on the inside of him with, without measure, he takes it and he puts it on the inside of you without measure, then sends you into a context, and then steps back on the balcony of heaven to watch what you're going to do with it. Because we're called to do the impossible. And I promise you this. If you decide, I don't know if it's like, whatever. When you get to heaven, that is the question everybody's always going to be like. You had the spirit, the creative spirit of God living on the inside of you. What did you do with that? I mean, it's cool. You made some videos and you did some hashtags and you. But you had the spirit of the impossible living on the inside of you. So I'm going to talk about. So Jesus says this. He says. Nothing shall be impossible with you. But the disciples come and obviously they've hit a snag because something is being impossible to them, right? And so they're asking, like, why, why could we not do the impossible? Basically, I'm paraphrasing. And he says it's very simple. He says it's because of your unbelief. He says if you have, what is unbelief? Unbelief is the absence of faith. Or rather, unbelief is a compromised type of faith. Are we in agreement? Unbelief has to do with the quality of your faith. So they come and say, why could we not cast the demon out? Everybody, let's throw that scripture up. Everybody comes and says, why could we not cast the demon out? What is the subject that they're talking about? It's the demon, right? They say, why could we not cast him out? The demon. And Jesus says to them, it's because of your unbelief, right? He says, it's because of the, the type of faith that you have. The moment he said that, he shifted the subject from the demon to their faith. And so he starts talking about this faith and everything. And so when we get to verse 21, he says, however, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. This kind of what? All right. Louder. This kind of what? Wrong. Right? So the subject was, the, was what they could not do, was the demon. He switches the subject. They didn't come to ask him about demons. They asked him why they could not do something. So the moment they ask exactly, he switched it and says, the reason you can't do this is because of your unbelief. The type of faith that makes the impossible possible is the type of faith that you can speak to mountains and everything. However, this type does not go through prayer and fasting. This type of what? Unbelief. You see what I'm saying? Because unbelief is a compromise. It's a specific type of faith which is antithetical to the type of faith that makes the impossible possible. So I'll give you a great example in everything. Let's talk about, I, come, I, I show up to Marcus. He, he's one of the most fashionable people that I know, right? And I'm like, Marcus, my back is killing me, bro. And he's like, it's because you're wearing Timberlands, right? So I came to him talking about my back, right? And then he says, the reason that your back hurts is because you're wearing Timberlands. But I'm going to tell you that about these shoes called Yeezys, Right? I'm telling you that if you wear Yeezys, you will be able to stand not just all day, but all week. However, you can't just get these. You got to have the hookup. What is he talking about? My back or Yeezys? Yeezys. You see what I'm saying? So now he moves. This whole thing is like, it's not important what you cannot do. The subject of what you cannot do is not as important as the why you cannot do it. And the why the impossible remains impossible for you is the simple fact that your belief system is compromised. Therefore, I want to have a conversation about your faith. 
And he says, in order for you to have the type of faith where the impossible becomes possible, it comes, verse 21, through what? Prayer and fasting. Now, we have a very interesting uh, correlation between the impossible and the problem. I have this statement right here from Aristotle, which I think is, is incredible. Here's what he says. He says, a probable impossibility is preferable to an improbable possibility. And Sam Seaborn in, um, remixes this in the West Wing. And he says, the impossible is preferable to the improbable. Okay, I know you guys looked at me like I just spoke in Zulu or tongues or whatever. So <laughs> let, me, let me explain it. So there are things which are impossible, right? And there are things which are improbable. So improbable means it's probably not going to happen. Impossible means it cannot happen. You see, there's that difference. It's the same difference between uh, the facts and the truth. How many of you guys know that it is a fact and we've lost people and you know people that cancer kills? It's a fact. We have the numbers, we have the stats. It is a fact. If you get it, you're going to die. That's a fact. But how many of you guys know of the truth that Jesus heals? And how many of you know when that fact meets with the truth, when death meets with life, life prevails? You see what I'm saying? So that would be the difference. So for example, let me use this in a statement and then we're going to jump, really, really jump into this. I'm going to tell you to the difference between the improbable and the impossible. I'm going to illustrate it to you. I'm going to tell you guys a statement which is impossible. And then I'm going to give you four words that turn every impossible statement into something that's probable. You ready? So here it is. This morning, I saw a man with a tail. Is that possible? Everybody say, that's impossible. This morning, I saw a man with a tail. Everybody say, that's impossible. Now I'm about to qualify with four words, and you guys are like, yeah, that's true. This morning I saw a man with a tail. That's impossible. I was at Walmart. <laughs> How many of you guys, then all of a sudden you guys are like, oh, of course. Because the moment I said that, instead of it being something that's impossible, you guys can literally picture the guy, right? He's wearing bunny house shoes, and, you know, he's wearing pajamas in the middle of the day. I know you guys are H-E-B people, so you don't know how ghetto Walmart can get. <laughs> but where I come from, like, Walmart is... And if you're ever bored, do not Google people of Walmart. It will make you lose faith in humanity. But basically, what I'm saying is there is things that are improbable, not probable. It's not, it, I probably will not go out and hit the power jackpot and become a billionaire. When I, it's, not, it's possible, but it probably won't happen. That's what improbable means. So basically, what Jesus is saying is that there's a lot of things which are impossible, and I want to move them to where they're literally probable to you. And the vehicle... For that is two things, and that is prayer and fasting. So this conversation is about those two tools for pioneering prayer, for the type of prayer that according to Jesus, not me psycho-babbling up here or wishful thinking or like upper room speak. No, I'm talking about this is what is in here and it's read, and it is the power of prayer and fasting, right? An incredible resource for prayer is this book. It's called How to Pray, a Simple Guide for Normal People. This is by a guy called Pete Gregg. They started praying. He and his wife had a hunger to pray. They started praying. God showed up, and they've been praying nonstop at their church for 20, for 20 years, 24-7. So if anyone's going to talk about uh, prayer, that's the guy. I mean, Matt Batterson quotes him, so you know he's legit. He's the Yoda of what that whole thing. Then Atomic Power uh, with God Through Prayer and Fasting is another great book that you should kind of like. So a lot of the things, I'm going to hit it fast, but you can go into those, and you can go into it. So let's talk about what prayer and fasting is, why Jesus gave uh, this to us as 
his tools, and I'm going to land it here in 10 minutes. Watch me do it. I promise I'm going to do it. All right, I'm talking to myself right now. I'm trying to convince myself. So prayer and fasting. Here's my qualifying statement. Prayer is to spirit what fasting is to the soul. Prayer is to the spirit what fasting is to the soul. Everything about your Christian walk hinges on this one thing. You understanding this one thing. And that is the fact that man is a three-part being. Everything about it hinges on that. That there are different faculties which correspond with different things in the spirit. And when you understand how to join A to A and B to B, you will always have results in your faith. So man is a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. Right? Man is spirit. Spirit is that which comes from God, right, and therefore communes and relates with God. Is that in us which is eternal, right? The soul is our center of self-consciousness. It's our mind. It's our will. It's our emotion. It's our volition. It's, it's the things that we use, the rational being, my mind, the things that I use to walk around this earth and everything. That's the mind. Then the third is the body, right, this, this fine specimen of melanin magnificence that you see in front of you. That's the body. And our whole interaction is in three things. So someone has to drive this vehicle. If it's the spirit, then you're what you call a mature Christian, and you hear from God, and you walk with the spirit, and you live, you literally live the fruits of the spirit, right? You have love, you have joy, you have peace, you have long-suffering, you have kindness, patience, all that, right? But if your mind, which is very reactionary, which is like prone to whatever, which if you come at me, it comes back at you. If that's driving, then you become what you call a carnal Christian, right? And your actions are not very mature and consistent. And everything about your Christian walk has to do with how those two find balance in your life. Who's driving today? Does it make sense? And so what prayer is for, prayer is for the spirit. Anytime you see the Bible make reference to prayer, it will never match prayer and the soul. It's always the spirit. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. And this is important to understand because remember, prayer is a language. So if I want to talk to someone who's homogenous to where I come from, we speak, I speak to my wife in Shona because that's where we come from. So when spirit speaks to God, it speaks the spiritual language, right? But the soul has been shaped with what this is. That's where my culture comes from, my personality comes from, all of that. It's like it's constantly in flux and being shaped by the things that we see around us. That's what the soul is. So basically, the, the spirit comes from a place of the impossible. It's made by the God of the impossible. So the spirit has no problem believing for the impossible. So when you pray from your spirit, you pray the prayer of faith because that prayer is native to the spirit. But one thing that we know in the Bible, and I could go into scriptures and everything, I don't have time for that, but you can Google it yourself, is the fact that God answers the prayer of faith. James talks about this. The prayer of faith will make the sick well. Right? If, if you can agree as much, if anyone asks for anything and does not doubt it, they will have whatever it is. The prayer of faith God responds to without question. So then why do we have problems praying the prayer of faith? It's because what we see undermines us from praying the prayer of faith. If someone's been sick, right, and they were born a certain way, and I start to believe and I say, Lord, I'm praying that this person would be healed in the name of you, and I'm praying these prayers, all of a sudden, what's my mind going to say? You heard the doctor. You've seen that. You've carried them from the time they were born. That's impossible, right? Because why? Your mind is still alive. So what fasting does 
is it humbles the soul to a place to where the spirit, which is connected and comes from the supernatural, is in a place to where you can pray in communion with God and there's nothing undermining your prayer of faith. And that's why it's so important to pray a prayer of faith and then you get people around you because now you have agreement. The Bible says we're two or three, right, agree as touching anything or asking for anything on earth, it will be established for them. That's the power of community. That's genuinely why I believe God brought men and women together. So you guys can pray and agree over specific assignments that God has given to you. That's why when Paul talks about the fact that, hey, stop beefing with your wife. Do you remember what he says? He says, so that your prayers would not be hindered. Because ultimately when you come together, God gave Adam an assignment. He gave him a helper. So that they're in agreement. They would agree. So the two things that you need for prayer to be answered is agreement. You're in agreement with someone else who's on the same path. But then there's also alignment because 1 John 5 says, right, as long as we ask for things in accordance with God's will, he hears us. When we know that he hears us, then we know that we have those things that we ask for. So the one thing undermining that is your soul. And how do you bring your soul into a place of um, subservience? It's through fasting. I like, um, I like this, what, what Andrew Murray says. He says, prayer is, is the one hand with which we grab the invisible. And fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. So when you fast, it plays interference. It runs interference and it allows you to pray from a place and a space of faith. Prayer is the language of creation, right? What is fasting? Fasting is the womb of creation. And I know real quick, I'm going to try to catch this in one minute. People are like, fasting? I don't know. Can I fast TV? No, you can't. It seems as the church is the only people that are, are confused about what fasting is. Fasting is staying away from food. Right? And listen, it doesn't work this way. Listen, the Bible says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The word for knowledge there is scientia in Latin. Like literally, it means we're destroyed because we ignore the science of God. Right? And what, what do I mean by this? See, the body, oh my gosh, let me kick out. Can I kick out for one minute over this because it changed my life? Let me tell you guys about fasting. So, everything about the body has to do with fuel sources, our energy source, right? Yeah, I can do it in one minute. It's our energy source. Everything about this is a machine, therefore, it's about the fuel that we use. Right. So when we develop the paleolithic being, as we're developing, we're not people that we're called to eat every day because we had to go and grow food and catch it and do all these things. Right. But then industrialization kind of came and now we're able to grow food and therefore we evolved our diets to where now we can actually manufacture our own food. But because our bodies were not made to be that, our bodies were made to like literally store food and then burn it. Right. So everything has to do with fuel. So right now as human beings, how we get our fuel primarily is we ingest food and our body burns that for fuel. That makes sense, right? It's pretty basic. So now what, what, what essentially happens is as we do this, the body takes all these fats and then it locks them up in fat. And that's how we kind of uh, get obese specifically. But, oh man, I can't really get into this. Maybe the next service I'm going to get into it. But, but it's incredible, the benefits of it. So what happens is when you stop eating, when you stop eating completely and fasting, right, you go through this weird phase to where your body's starting to use glucose and everything and starts burning glucose. When that glucose is depleted about 18 hours in there, then a process starts to where your body starts going, I need more food because it's used to your energy coming in through your mouth specifically, right? But after a while, when none of that comes, oh, man, I can't kick out over the science. It's incredible. But you get to a point to where when no food is coming in, your body's like, okay, we got to do something else. So it switches the fuel source, and it starts burning up all those fat stores, right, that have been on the inside of you. And then the second thing that it does, it starts burning all these 
redundancies. And so basically, it takes all the fatty acids, it breaks them down, it goes to the liver. The liver releases ketones, and ketones are a pure fuel. So that's why when you're fasting, you think better and, and you do all those things. And then that way, you're able to go without eating. And then all of a sudden, because ketones are also hunger suppressants, so you don't feel hungry when you're fasting. But at the same time, something calls autophagy, auto for self, and phagia for eating. So basically, your body starts to go through all your cells and starts to eat up all the cancerous growths, all the redundancies, and your body literally begins to burn impurities for its energy. So when you fast, the first three days, it's turbulence and you're hungry and you're all those. That's literally just, um, that, can, can we get the keyboard up here? But that's basically your body just misbehaving. That's your addiction. Then what happens is after a while, it depends on the bodies and everything. For some people who are optimized at day four, something shifts. You wake up and all of a sudden there's no hunger. There's cravings because your mind is still trying to get you to resort back to that dopamine kind of a... But anyways, so it kind of switches. And for the next 21 days, if you're going that way, you don't feel hunger. You have cleaner energy. You have clarity of thought because it also begins to release growth hormones that begins to repair like neural pathways in your minds and everything. All that to say, fasting is awesome. God designed it for us. He would not call us to do something but what it really does spiritually is it brings our soul and our mind and emotion and all these things into a place where our spirit is over there. Then we can really begin to lean into the impossible. So as the keyboard uh, comes up to play, I feel like, uh, thank you, brother. <laughs> but um, my conversation with you guys today is over one simple thing. That your assignment to do the impossible does not change simply because you deem the impossible to be improbable. God still holds you accountable to the assignment of the impossible because he gave you everything that you needed to make sure that the impossibility is your daily reality. He says this about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with like passions as us, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and Elijah was able to hamstring and hold at ransom the entire economy of a nation because their ways were inconsistent with the ways of God. A man could control nature. That's impossible. But we're called to the impossible. We serve a God who walks on water, who multiplies bread, whatever this world needs, and then he's giving you that same spirit on the inside of you. And that's why he sent you into the deepest, darkest places. Not just that, but you could have existed in any other position in history, but he chose in his infinite wisdom to the fact that your gifts and your talents are perfectly suited for this particular context. How dare you disqualify yourself from going into the darkest places as light because you deem that that which is calling you is impossible. I'm going to disenfranchise you of the notion that what you're calling it, it is impossible. That's why you need his spirit. That's why you need to stay in a place of prayer. That's why you need to stay in a place of fasting. And I'm speaking to someone in this room. If you guys don't mind, could you stand up with me? And I'm speaking to someone in this room and you're going through something and you feel like the assignment that God has called you to is an assignment of impossibility. But I'm just telling you right now that there's the tools. Now, now here's the thing about prayer. Prayer is one of the things, it's, it's a science until it's an art. It's a grind until it's a grace. It's a discipline until it's second nature. I didn't like to pray. It was hard. I would get bored. I would get whatever. But I came across the scripture I want to share with you guys. And I want to pray this over you. And it's a very simple scripture. The context is different. But basically, 
It is in Zechariah 12, verse 10. He says, Then I'll pour out on the house of David and on the people of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and prayer. Grace is the divine empowerment to do that which does not come naturally to us. So there is a grace for supplication. There is a grace for prayer. That means we can pray a prayer of desire and earnest asking. And you can walk out of here and God has given you the ability to lean into a place of prayer. Remember, prayer is the, is the womb for the impossible. And from there, birth systems and structures and ideas and songs and whatever he's called you to do and strategies and move from there. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room right now and you're just like, I, I need this grace. I, I'm, not, I'm not a prayer warrior. I, prayer is hard for me. Prayers, but I understand my calling and I understand, but I just need this grace. Could you just put your hand up in this room? Oh man, there's hands all over this room, hands all over this room. So Father, I just come before you right now and I pray that you'd pour over your children the grace and the spirit of supplication that walk out of here, Father, feeling the urgency, the same thing that you did to me and for me, Father. For I woke up and I found no home outside of the place of prayer and in that place of prayer you met me. And you made my impossible become a possibility. I pray that you do the same for every single person in this room. May every hand that is raised up in hope never be lowered in disappointment. I just come before you and I pray, pour out your grace on your people. Speaking of grace, every single person that does not know you, Father, cover them with your blood. Call them home, right? If you don't know the Lord, the Bible is very, it says it's very clear. Believe in your heart. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died, for your sins that he was raised by the power and for the glory of the father you just need to confess in your mouth and say jesus i make you my king i make you my lord come into my life and he will and there's resources you can go to the vip section after this and they'll deal with you there but if you don't know jesus christ just talk to him right now and if you have someone who's stepped away from the lord and you're not living a life that glorifies him the greatest testament or deterrent to you living a life of impossibility is when you live a life that denies the existence and the power of jesus so come to the cross that right now and leave everything of yours. And so, Father, I just come before you and I bless you. Be with your children. And I thank you that you'd mark them with a grace for prayer and a tenacity to lean in to circle the wagons and to pioneer again. I ask and I thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Amen. Appreciate it, reward. Now, here's the hard thing about reward. He's a teacher. So he's got this much content with this much time, right? Man, we have service after service. He, he literally thinks this is the last service of the day. Little does reward know there's one more service today. Reward, there's one more service. You know that, right? There is literally one more. <laughs> but, uh, man, it's so good to have everybody in the house. And obviously, we love reward. He's an amazing mind, an incredible man. And we're thankful to have him inside of the house. And as we close this out, uh, if you want to give on your way out, you can do that. This house is built on the backs of obedience, as I talked about earlier. It's not built on the backs of sacrifices. Owners inside of the house to make this happen, to realize that God has called us to give. If you want to test God, Malachi 3.10 says, man, give. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. And man, when you give, it's a clear indication that your heart is wrapped up in the things of God. So uh, you can give on your way out. A lot of stuff going on inside of the church, so make sure you tune into the Pearl Street app. But outside of that... Love you guys. If you want to take the next step, show up at VIP as reward said. But there's people outside right now 
that are baking just like you were before you walked in these doors. We love you guys. Keep on making a difference in the world of us. God's destined you to lead in. God bless. Have an incredible day.